Okay, let's go on to IT. This is a 47-year-old woman who had bilateral breast implants in February 2002. He did well for a couple of years, but for around six months, early 2005, he started having pains and redness over the left breast. At that time, it was felt that probably it's the implants. He saw many doctors, and because I saw her sister, whom I treated seven years ago with multi-node positive breast cancer, but because she wasn't at a speaking term with the sister, he didn't want to come to see me. At the end, he came to see me. When I saw her, she was very sick lady. She had clearly bilateral subcutaneous nodules on both breasts. She has several cravicular nodes, axillary nodes. She had skin nodules over the arm. She had ascites. She was short of breath. And her creatinine was 4.2. We immediately put her in the hospital and we did the biopsies. The biopsies turned out to be invasive lobular carcinoma. ERP are strongly positive, her to new by fish testing, negative. We scanned her. She turned out to have bilateral pleural effusions, more on the left, moderate amount of ascites, very enlarged lymph nodes in the retroperitoneum, multiple bone mats, no real visceral disease, nothing in the lungs and nothing in the liver. We MRI'd her brain. That was negative. At that time, I told her, look, She's very sick. We need to treat her aggressively with chemotherapy. I want to know what Skip would do in this situation. And so the pathology came back that she's a lobular? Correct. Lobular carcinoma. And the creatinine was elevated because of the retroperitoneal adenopathy? That's correct. So did you were you able to stint, or do you need to get the creatinine down with the tumor response? We were able to stint the left kidney, and her creatinine went down to three point something, but we couldn't stint the right kidney. Okay. That's obviously a difficult situation because of the delay to diagnosis. Usually you think a lobular is being much more sensitive to hormonal therapy, not quite as sensitive to chemotherapy. I've actually biased in my answer here by the fact that I've had a few lobulars lately that one of my partners has been, they've treated for years with hormonal therapy, and I've actually had them respond fairly well to the modern chemotherapy drugs. I and mean, if you want to call the taxanes or nabpaclitaxel in that scenario. So my bias has changed about that a little bit. I think that this is the kind of patient who a little bit of a tough call about hormonal therapy or chemotherapy, but just from the extent of the disease that Atif describes, I think I would start with some chemotherapy and start with something that was likely to be cleared through the liver so I didn't get in that issue. This would be a situation where I'd give the patient weekly paclitaxel and bevacizumab, keeping an eye on the blood pressure and monitoring things, needing to be some pretty aggressive with supportive care, but not having to get into maybe some of the dangers of combination chemotherapy and somebody getting over some recent renal failure. Antonio? That is a tough one, and I think her presentation with this kind of insidious disease involving the cirrhosis and the lymph nodes, I mean, she's it's what you often see with lobular cancer. I would be thinking endocrine therapy a lot, and what makes us all nervous is what's happening with her kidneys, because I think the only motivation at this point to consider chemotherapy would be to attempt a fast response in the kidneys. Having said that, I have one anecdote, and that's what it is. An anecdote was a woman who presented with a slow-progressing shortness of breath for about six, eight months and changes in the x-rays. Finally, and someone did a bronchoscopy, and she turned out to have lymphoma 
congenital disease. And it was breast cancer that she had first presented many years ago. And I went by the slow progression of her symptoms with clearly lymphangiac disease. And I put that woman on endocrine therapy. She went on to have a radiologic complete response. And that lasted close to two years. So it's tough. Probably being a little bit nervous, I might try some chemotherapy and see what happens. And if I'm not seeing any dramatic improve quickly, I would move her back to the less toxic and possibly more effective endocrine therapy. If you were going to use chemo, what kind? At this point, it could be something along the lines of single-agent Taxol or single-agent Taxol with Avacin. Can you follow up with what happened with the patient? What I did, I used combination chemotherapy in this patient because I thought she looked very sick, she was short of breath, and I gave her actually a combination of taxotere adriamycin cytoxin. I ran really very aggressive with tech. We got her through the first cycle in the hospital for around 12 days, of course, with Neulesta support. I couldn't give her bifacizumab because of the kidney function, some moderate hypertension, and actually some proteinuria in the urine. She did well with the first cycle. We discharged her home. The tumor responded within two to three weeks. Her tumor in the chest wall started shrinking. Her ascites became definitely better. Her creatinine went down to around high two still. Gave her the second cycle of tech at the same doses with the Neulesta support as outpatient. She ended up being admitted with neutropenic fever, but with marked response of her tumor again. By the third cycle of tech, with the stubbornness being admitted every cycle with neutropenic fever, but with marked response in spite of Neulesta, with a marked drop in the creatinine every time by half a point to one point, she achieved a complete clinical response after five cycles. By that time, her creatinine was around 1.4. I started her Zometa, and we gave her the sixth cycle. She felt great at that time, except for some fatigue because of the taxotere. And she challenged us at that time what to do next. Her PET scan, amazingly, from the beginning, were negative, which is not unusual. Which is what you see with lobular cancer. Right, in lobular. Yeah. But they counted on the PET scan at the beginning before even a diagnosis to reassure her that everything was okay. And that was the mistake. She achieved a complete clinical response after six cycles of tech, and she wanted surgery because she believed that the implants caused her the cancer. We took her to surgery. She had a bilateral simple mastectomies, no dissection, nothing. She was found to have no disease in the right breast, in the left multicentric, several millimeter in all quadrants of the breast. And the surgeon was very good. She was able to close the skin without any major problems. Can we I just knew we ask, left disease get some there. feedback on that decision? Or were you ha- comfortable with that decision? Yes. I mean, that was her decision. She was a young woman, and she just couldn't look at her. I mean, even when I would examine her, she would be looking like this when I'm examining her. She just didn't want to look at her breasts. Skip, can you relate to that? It seems like a kind of an interesting thing to be doing, that type of surgery in this situation. It is, but I can understand where Atif's coming from with regard to a patient like this. You know, that's part of her quality of life and part of her decision, and I think that carefully counseled, I don't disagree with it at all, and I think you'd have the comfort in knowing that with lobular and ERP or positive disease, she could continue to take hormonal therapy through the surgery and through the recovery, and, you know, if it's going to make her feel better mentally and it's going to help with her overall approach her disease, I could fully support it. Yet counseling her carefully, because it is definitely out of the norm to be operating in the setting of metastatic disease, but these situations do come up. 
Any comments on the case, Antonio? In regards to the surgery, I think it's a quality of life decision more than anything else. It's not part of her therapeutic treatment, and maybe you have to respect that. I would try actually to talk her out of it if I could at first, but... I haven't sent a patient for a mastectomy with metastatic disease since last week. So, you know, it's always whatever <laughs> happened to you latest. But, you know, and it, it's a college professor, you know, at a pretty good school, Vanderbilt. I mean, and she's just insistent that she wants it as part of her program. One quick comment, Atif, too. Then the last, we just submitted this paper to JCO, and we actually presented it at San Antonio, and it's coming out in full publication about TAC with the new LASTA. Did you give the new LASTA on the same day as the TAC or the day after? Do no, you we've never done that except on this study. It's usually the next day. The next day. I, and Neil, I just bring that up because it was interesting. We all were surprised about how that study turned out. But given new last of the day of TAC resulted in a fibronitropenia rate of about 30% and giving it the day after chemotherapy was more in line with the package insert of 6-7%. So something that seems to be getting noticed with the anthracycline-containing regimens for, for lack of a better reason. So can you bring us up to date with this lady? Yes, at that time, she actually wanted more local control. I mean, a lot of things we did with this patient, she really drove a lot of her care based on what her sister did. Because we didn't remove the nodes and she still had a lot of disease, she wanted to see a radiation oncologist even. When actually she saw my colleague, Dr. Sunderman, who's I think sitting at the end of the table, and she wanted radiation, which by the way, she took. I don't know how much, but she took radiation therapy to bilateral chest walls. She finished that completely now around a year and a half ago. When we finished the radiation, also the challenge is hormonal therapy. What to do with her anti-estrogen therapy? We discussed with her, she's premenopausal, that she should be on tamoxifen. She read a lot about the aromatase inhibitors that in postmenopausal women were more effective. Her sister was on the extended adjuvant five years of Famara. She wanted exactly the same treatment like her sister, and I really struggled with that a great deal. But again, I mean, if I didn't work with this patient, she would probably end up with nothing. I started her a year and a half ago with ovarian ablation and Famara and Zomata. Therefore, she's now on Famara, Zoladex, and Zomata. Obviously, they turn out to be BRCA1 positive, and we are addressing what to do with both of them in terms of their ovaries. And what's going on with her symptomatically, quality of life? She's doing great. She stopped working. She worked as an executive secretary in the office of the mayor of the city. And she went up to central Florida. She bought a farm actually with her fiancé. She has cows and horses. And she comes down now every two to three months to see me. She receives her somata through an oncologist I know well in central Florida. She has excellent quality of life. What do you think about the case and specifically this issue of the hormonal therapy she got, Antonio? This is someone with lobular cancer. It's wonderful that she had a great response to the chemotherapy and achieved what she needed, which is to preserve her kidneys, which could affect her quality of life tremendously. And then after some induction, uh, issues of surgery aside, I think that the next step indeed would have been some form of endocrine therapy. Being premenopausal, I would have pushed for tamoxifen. Did she test for BRCA? Yes. She was found to be BRCA1 positive. and her are both. Okay. The whole issue, then what do you do in regards to the ovaries in someone who has metastatic disease? Do you need to worry about doing a prophylactic ophorectomy? Often, many of these patients with lobular breast cancer achieve dramatic responses and durable responses with endocrine therapy. So I don't think it would have been out of the ordinary to consider some form of ovarian ablation or ophorectomy, but you could use the excuse of primarily being as part of the endocrine therapy for her breast cancer and secondarily for ovarian cancer prevention. 
intervention. Because these patients often go for a long time with endocrine therapy alone. Would you have considered chemo-hormonal therapy at presentation? For megastatic disease? Yeah. I think... I mean, why not give her both at the same time? Yeah, I tend not to do that. Two basic reasons. One is I'm a little bit influenced, or a lot influenced, I think a lot of us are, by the data from Kathy Albain from the SWOG study that was presented many years ago of sequential adjuvant chemoendocrine therapy versus combination adjuvant chemohormonal therapy suggesting a detrimental effect of the combination, which led to a change in the adjuvant trials for the NSABP that used to combine chemo and tamoxifen, and then he moved on to chemo followed by sequential tamoxifen. Also, the whole issue of knowing what's truly helping in patients with metastatic disease and knowing that at some point, most of these patients will see all of these therapies. I usually prefer to do one at a time and explore that one therapy to the max before I move no, on I to mean, the next. I mean, in this patient, I mean, she was either going to respond or be probably expired in a few weeks' time. I mean, Yeah, and I think this is what I mentioned before. I mean, start the chemotherapy, watch very closely and see what's happening with her. In this case, you could follow her renal function as a quote-unquote tumor marker very quickly. So I, I probably would still just do the chemotherapy. Did you say what her current creatinine is? Around 1.3 to 1.4, we give her somata at 3 milligrams, and we watch her creatinine very closely. Carl? Would a nephrectomy have been a better option for her taking care of the hormonal issue as well as the BRCA1 issue? So I, I think that's what I was getting at, in that I would have used... There are situations where you can explain as much as you want, and patients will do what they wanted, and it looks like she wanted an aromatase inhibitor. And if that being the case, then definitely she needed some form of ovarian suppression slash ablation, and you could justify an ophorectomy as therapeutic treatment for her breast cancer, but hoping that she was going to have a durable endocrine response for many years, in which case this could also be prevention for ovarian cancer. Skip? I would disagree with those comments. I, mean, I think you think of a woman like this, premenopausal, with this kind of tumor, getting rid of the estrogen as part of it seems to be, and whether it's with one of the LHRHs or whether you want to do an oophorectomy and all. I think that we tried to do that study of a chemo plus an AI, actually, and we couldn't accrue to it because the doctors sort of think they either want to do chemo or an AI. And these patients are just fairly rare, so we couldn't get it done. Actually, AstraZeneca was trying to support that. 